Hey, well, once again, Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. I love getting together with the church family, with all of us, all of you who are regulars here, those of you who are guests, a warm welcome to you. I kind of formed a new Christmas tradition this year. I didn't even know it. It started last night. Did any of you see those really cool animals on the way in today? Did you see them? All right. I have a new buddy. This right here is me and I caramba the llama. Isn't that? I'm the one on the left. That's me. And uh, he was here last year, and I confess I forgot. He's the most hilarious-looking animal to me. He just cracks me up. There's a really beautiful little alpaca out there that I asked if that was a baby llama, and they looked at me like, yeah, city kid. That's an alpaca right there. Anyway, uh, do you, you guys have some Christmas traditions? Are there things maybe you're already doing this year or things you're looking forward to tonight or tomorrow? Christmas foods, there are things that you smell and you taste, and when you have that, it takes you back to a different time. It's a pleasant memory. I do have one favorite Christmas food, and as I was thinking about this, I was embarrassed that the very first thing that came to mind for me when I thought about what are my favorite foods at Christmas, I wanted to think about something that my mom really labored over and just like filled the house with the smell of baking. Or, but truth be told, the first thing that came to mind for me was pickled herring. Mm-hmm. Pickled herring. Okay, okay, I was hoping for one or two positive reactions. I got them, right? Everybody else, not so sure. You know, it strikes me as odd somehow, or at least worth noticing, that Christmas is that time of year when we have the most things, the most traditions that we want to be exactly the same year after year. The things that don't change to celebrate a holiday on which God changed everything, right? Like we have those things that we hold on to that maybe remind us of the world the way it used to be at a simpler time when when we were kids. Or if you've had kids, maybe when your kids were little, if they've grown up now, they take you back to a time when the world was just the way you want to remember it and think that maybe it hadn't changed to celebrate a holiday after which the world would never be the same again. And and I'm not actually saying anything wrong with that. I'm not against the traditions. I don't want to take away your stuff as long as you don't take away my llama and my herring. We'll make peace about that. But it makes me think about the other side of this deal. It makes me think about the way that, that God would use Christmas to create something new, to open up new change and new hope in our lives. And I bet a lot of us are looking for that too. Even while we're trying to remember stuff the way it used to be, I bet you've got things in your life or in our world where you and we could use a a dose of new hope and new direction, right? This time of year, a lot of people have their minds on New Year's resolutions. We're thinking ahead to 2017 a little bit, if you can just kind of get past a few more things. And people are all excited about getting out of debt and spending less and making better decisions eating differently, going to exercise more, maybe things that are kind of more a heart-level thing, maybe attitudes or actions or the way you handle your relationships. If you live in a family, maybe something in your family life, maybe I want to do do family a little differently in 2017 than we did in 2016. And maybe it's not just you who's thinking that, but what if at Christmas God is doing that? What if God is thinking about a new opportunity, a new hope, a new direction, a new growth in your life and, heck, not just our private lives, but how about our world? I mean, global news has not been good to us in 2016. There's a lot that feels like it's running off the rails. There's a lot. The world's a scary place. What if God could do something at Christmas that would would change some of that, that would open some new hope and some new direction for us? If the birth of Jesus were going to open a new fork in the road for you, If our celebration, our memory of the birth of Jesus was going to open a new fork in the road for you, would you take it? Would you take it? 
I think one of the things that stops us sometimes from taking risks in our lives, from taking new opportunities, next steps, forks in the road, is when we can't see the end from the beginning. Do you ever struggle with that? Like, if I do this, what comes after that? Maybe I could guess that, but then what if I do this, and then what about that, and then what about that? And you can't see the 17th step from the first one, so you never take one to begin with. People tell me that's called analysis paralysis. Maybe some of you suffer from that. I want to tell you something about Joseph. Joseph was the earthly father of Jesus. Joseph, we believe, was a builder of some kind. The Bible tells us he was. Traditionally, we've understood that he was a carpenter. Now, this is a special treat for Christmas 2016 right here. A great archaeological find. This was actually Joseph's own circular saw right here. It's uh, missing the modification that down converts it from 220 to 110, but this is probably his saw. Okay, probably not, right? <laughs> In fact, truth be told, the word that we traditionally translate as carpenter is actually a little more general than that. It's probably a word, it means a word that means something like builder. And he may very well have worked with wood and been a carpenter, but there's also a lot of architecture from the first century, a lot of things that were built with block and rock and stone, maybe not prefab concrete block like this, but still with stone or rock. And it's just as likely that Joseph and his son Jesus were trained in in that sort of work as with wood. But either way, I think Joseph was a a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. I, I think Joseph was a quiet guy. You know, in all the things that we read about Joseph in the Christmas story, have you ever noticed he does not say one word? There is not a single line. He was a man of few words. In fact, if you ever have kids and if they ever try out for the Christmas pageant, Joseph is the part that you want, right? Pro pro tip right there, right? I think Joseph was probably a decent guy from what we can tell about him. Joseph was engaged to be married to a woman named Mary, And then he came to find out that Mary was pregnant. And he had very good reason to believe that it was not his. And so he wasn't so sure that he wanted to go through with the wedding anymore. But even though he wanted to change direction on that, he wasn't out to get her. He didn't want to hurt her. Joseph was trying to find a different way forward in a way that would still save face for her also. He seems to have been a basically decent kind of guy. But then God brought some forks in the road into Joseph's life. God speaks to Joseph and he says, hey, Joseph, I actually, I want you, I I need you to marry Mary anyway, okay? I mean, I know you don't understand all this yet, and there's no way that you could see the end of this journey from the beginning. Nobody ever got married seeing one year down the road, let alone five, 25, longer down the road. But God was saying to Joseph, you know what, just trust me on this step. Take, Take this one next step. And then, I suppose it was about a year later, and they had a newborn baby. And God spoke to Joseph again. They were in Bethlehem, this small town in southern Israel outside of Jerusalem. And he says, I need you to pick up the whole family and move. It's not safe for you to be here anymore. And I know you have no idea what it's going to be like, where you're moving to. You haven't seen it on Facebook. The pictures aren't there. You don't know what it's going to be like. But I need you to move. Trust me on this. Take this one next step. And so he did. And then a little bit, while, a little bit later, a couple years, a few years later, I don't know exactly how long it was, God spoke to Joseph again. He said, okay, it's safe to go back. I want you to go back to your hometown again. Ooh, no, wait, I don't mean that hometown, not Bethlehem down in the south, but Nazareth and Galilee up in the north. Throughout all these steps, all these forks in the road that God gave Joseph, I don't think Joseph could ever see more than one step down the road. He never knew what was coming next. Faith, I think, doesn't work that way. Sometimes we think that it does, that faith means knowing the whole plan from the beginning, but it's not. Faith is just confidence enough in God to act. Confidence enough to take the one next step that God is inviting you to. 
And when I think, I look back at Joseph's story, all those things, they seem so dramatic now, don't they? I mean, after all, they're written down in the Bible where everything was shot in big color and everybody speaks with British accents and it's all so amazing, right? And in some ways it was. I mean, God did send an actual angel to Joseph to give him direction, which is different from what most of us experience, I think, different from what I experience in life. But in other ways, I think this isn't actually so different from our experience after all. God was asking Joseph to make a choice to act and to live with compassion and loyalty in a relationship in his life when he didn't necessarily have to, to exercise mercy when he didn't have to. He asked Joseph to move from Bethlehem and Israel over to Egypt to leave behind his own friends, his own family, his own hometown, his own network, the contacts he had, the people he knew, his professional network of people who knew that he did good work, that he laid good block or cut wood well, and go to a whole new place and sacrifice what he had for the good of somebody else. In this case, it was his family. And these aren't the kinds of choices necessarily that are faced by world leaders, great visionaries by the famous few. These are the kinds of choices that you face. These are the kinds of choices that I face. Normal people who have hometowns and jobs and friends and maybe families. The choices that we make every single day that I think honestly add up to change the the nature of the world more than the choices of the famous few anyway. I I wonder and I want to ask you what forks in the road you think God might be opening up for you this year? What places God might be asking you to live with a more compassionate, merciful heart, to exercise loyalty or integrity or self-sacrifice for somebody in your life when you wouldn't necessarily have to. Then maybe God actually is speaking a message to you somehow, maybe without the angel sky writing in the sky, but somehow speaking to your heart to know him, to grow in your faith, to take this one next step. I don't know anybody who ever heard God inviting you into bigger faith and to actually know what that journey looks like from the end. I never have. But trust me on this. Take this one next step. I mean, sometimes I think we get held up from doing that because we have this analysis paralysis. We don't know what the end of the journey looks like from the beginning. But there's another thing that I think holds some of us back, maybe different ones of us, and that is when we have questions. Do you have questions? Do you think that faith means knowing all the answers before you do anything? If that's you, I want to tell you the story of Mary a little bit. Because I'll tell you, I think that Mary is way more of a thinker. I think she's way deeper. I think she asks way more questions than we ever realize. There's a place in Mary's story where she sings this song that is this poem that she writes, and it's so deep and complicated, so biblically educated, so well-read, so insightful into the nature and the problems of the world that it blows me away. Hardly anybody ever gets to the depths of this thing. She's way more thoughtful than I think we ever realize. But it's not even that that I want to talk about. I want to talk to you about the very beginning of this story for Mary, where she asks her questions. So there's a spot, right? We read about it today, where an angel of God, the angel Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, comes to Mary, and he says to Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. How would you respond if that happened to you? The Bible says that Mary was greatly troubled and wondered what these words might mean. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it in biblical language, right? What on earth is this? She has questions about that. Have you ever seen the paintings of Mary? You've seen famous paintings of Mary. Here's one famous painting of Mary with the the baby Jesus. She is so serene. She is so peaceful. She knows the answers to all of the questions. 
Some days, maybe, as a new mom, she was like that, right? Do you believe that? <laughs> I think a lot of times the experience was pretty different. I think faith looks differently than sometimes we imagine that it does. Mary had questions. She was troubled, and the angel explained to her. He honored her questions. God was not bothered that she had questions. And so he said, here's what I mean by this. Here's what's going to happen. God has been doing this. He made this promise. Here's what God is going to do in the world. It's what you always wanted, and not just you. It's not just about you. It's about our world. God's doing this thing that the world needs. He's going to send the rescuer, the deliverer, the savior, the leader, the teacher, the king that the world needs. And you're going to be the mother of that child. Which we tend to think about means like she's going to give birth to this child, which is true. But do you ever think about the years that came after that? How the boy Jesus, the adolescent Jesus, learned life at Mary's knee and in the home of Mary and Joseph and all the ways that he was shaped and educated and prepared to fulfill the call that God had in his life? That raised more questions for Mary. Mary says to the angel, I wonder how delicate she was in this, really, and how, how many words maybe are missing from what's written down there. She says to the angel, how can this be? You understand my situation, right? Do angels know how that works? <laughs> and the angel says to Mary, I get it. This is going to be a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. God is doing a new and miraculous and powerful thing in your life and for the sake of the whole world. And Mary gets enough of her questions answered. Not all of them, but she gets enough of her questions answered that she says those famous words that are written down in the Bible. She says, okay, I'm in, let's do this. Or more traditionally, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Right? I'm ready to go. I'm re I'll take this next step. Let's, let's, let's do this. I don't want you to think, though, that Mary was at a place in her life now where she had all her questions answered, where everything was all clear now. The Bible is full of stories of people who exercised faith in the middle of their questions, and Mary is absolutely one of them. Because you get to the end of the Christmas story, all the place where the shepherds arrive and the angels are singing and there's light in the sky, and Jesus has been born. It's sort of, I imagine, it's like that thing where like a couple has a baby in the hospital and they give you the baby and you're supposed to take it home and you go, what do I do with it now? <laughs> at the end of the story, at the end of the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it says that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She was still pondering. She was still wondering. Mary was greatly troubled and she wondered and she pondered. Do you do that? Do you have questions? It's not that you don't believe in God or can't believe in God or don't want to believe in God, but you've got questions. Do you have intellectual questions? Do you wonder, how is that possible? Can I really believe that? Does that how does that work? If there's room in the church for Mary, if there's room in the people of God for Mary, there's room in the people of God for you and for me. Maybe you've got questions that come from personal experience. How am I going to trust God again after God did or did not let that happen before? Or questions that maybe are about self-doubt as much as anything else. It's not that I don't believe in God, but are you trying to tell me that God believes in me? Like, how would God work in this life, in, in my life? How would, how would that ever matter? I think sometimes we think that faith is knowing the answers to all the questions. But I don't know where that picture of faith really came from. That's not what faith means in the Bible. I think faith is simply confidence enough in God to act, to take the one next step that he's leading you to. Which really brings me to the last thing that we need to talk about today. The most important thing that we need to talk about here at Christmas. Because the Christmas story is not finally, not ultimately a story about Joseph or a story about Mary or the forks in their road or the forks in our road. Christmas is ultimately a story about God. It's a story about the fork in the road that God took 
to open them up for us. Because it would be entirely possible to imagine a God without Christmas, wouldn't it? In fact, I don't know for sure, but I kind of think that a lot of us, maybe most of us, think about God that way a lot of the time. We, we imagine that God might be out there, is out there somewhere in some other place in heaven far away, wherever or whatever heaven might be. And, and that God may very well have created like the whole universe and everything in it somehow. And that God may have very positive feelings about the world. He may, in some sense, be said to love the world, to care about what's happening in it, to look at the mess that's in it and shout lovingly across the divide at the world, don't do that. (laughs) You're wrecking things. Go this way instead. Maybe sometimes God would send messengers, prophets even, into the world to warn us and to woo us back to God, but all the while living in his heaven far away while we are here. And God is simply out there (laughs) with great apologies watching us from a distance. But that's not the God that we know when we tell the Christmas story. The God of Christmas, the Christmas story is the story of a God who leapt the gap, who crossed the divide to enter right into our own lives, into the messes that we live in right where they are, to give us hope and to open up new directions for us. The scriptures say, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a child and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And this is what we learn about. This is what we see and experience when we read the stories of Jesus' life and experience the presence of Jesus with us in our own lives today. We know that Jesus was once upon a time and still is with the brokenhearted, to bind up the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted about anything? Is 2016 or 15 or 14 or any other year brought brokenheartedness into your life? Jesus is with us there. Jesus is with the weary. Is anybody not weary at this time of year? In this life that we live, Jesus was and is with the weary. Jesus was and is with all those of us who have made choices in our lives that really have brought some damage into our lives. And we've made choices where we've hurt ourselves and hurt other people. And Jesus was and is with those of us whose lives have been hurt because of the choices and the actions of other people. And truth be told, aren't you both of those people most of the time? I am. Christmas is a story of Jesus who came to be with us. When our lives were on one road and we thought we were making twists and turns, but it just kept being the same road. And finally, we said, we need new hope and we need new direction. Christmas is the story of a God who came to be with us so that no matter what road you are on, what darkness you are in, or what dead end you are facing, you are never alone. God himself is there with you and will open up new hope for you and open up new direction. Christmas is the story of the God who in Jesus Christ said, I'm with you. Now come with me. I'm with you. Now come with me. And maybe Christmas 2016, just like the first Christmas. If the first Christmas was the day when God changed everything, the day after which the world would never be the same again, maybe Christmas 2016 is the Christmas in particular after which our lives don't ever have to be the same again when we take the fork in the road that God has given us. In our church family, in this this church community here, we are a community of people who are trying to learn to live in the love of God together, who are trying to support one another and equip one another and, and learn what it means to live like Christmas happened after Christmas, to learn what it means to live in the in the wonderful, powerful, countercultural, surprising way of Jesus in our world. 
And we got a couple of things that are planned for the very beginning of 2017, some next steps that we're going to share together. And if you're already a part of this church family, or if you're not, I want to invite you to this and know that there are people who want to walk this journey with you. In January of 2017, we've got a, a learning journey planned, a learning series planned for our Sunday morning worship services and also for our smaller groups. where We're going to be learning what is the good news of Jesus Christ, what is the life and the teaching and the power of Jesus mean for us in our relationships, whether we're married people or whether we're single people, how will the teaching and the power of Jesus shape our own station in life and the practical conflicts and challenges and struggles and joys that we face? And I think, I think as we learn to follow Jesus, it'll make a difference in our own stations in life. And at least as much, I think there's the potential for us to be shaped together as a community of people who support one another and care about one another and love one another, even when our lives have taken different directions from each other. And I hope if you're here today celebrating Christmas, I hope you'll be here then learning how to walk out the truth of Christmas together, to walk this fork in the road together. I, I genuinely believe that there's the opportunity and potential here for this to, to make all of our lives different, to open up a new fork in the road for us. And, and after that, in February, we're going to do a short introduction to this thing right here, this Bible. We've been reading from it today. I've been quoting from it. And we're going to ask ourselves, this story, this book of the story of the God who came to be with us in Jesus, what's actually in there? And how did we get it? And can we trust it? And if we could trust it, how, and how would we read it in such a way that it would shape our lives in a positive way, that it would shape our lives to maybe reflect the character of, of Jesus' life? That'll be February 2017. You know, I, I think that too often we imagine that Christmas is the end of something, right? Christmas comes at the end of the year. It comes at the end of probably the most tiring month of the whole year. And we got to get through the whole shopping season and all the parties and all the celebration. And we break the tape like a marathon runner. And then we collapse on the pavement and hope to stand up again by New Year's Day, right? And maybe that's true. Christmas is, in some ways, the end of some things. But I think when I read the story of, of the real story of Christmas, I think God meant for Christmas really to be the beginning of something. The end of an old thing, but the beginning of a new thing. The beginning of an opportunity for you and me and all of us together and for the world to take a new fork in the road, to live a new day, to live a new season in, in this year now, in 2017. And I am really looking forward to walking that fork in the road with you this year. Before we finish here, I want to just give you a little more picture, a little more information about that next step that I was telling you about in January. So if you would, please take a look at the screens behind me. Relationships are so complicated sometimes. Married, single, double income, no kids, no income, double kids, widowed, divorced, blended. When did relationship statuses get so complicated? And all of our relationship statuses come with a struggle. I'm single, but I wish I was married. I'm married, and sometimes I wish I was single. We have the same mom, but different dads. I don't know what I'm going to do with him gone. Some of us have recently negotiated the difficulties of relationships during the Christmas season. If Christmas means that Jesus came near and dwelt among us, despite the mess in our relationships, then that must also mean Jesus brings hope for our relationships. Jesus loves you, whatever your relationship status. Join us each week from January 8th to January 29th as we try to make sense of our relationships, as complicated as they might be. Together, we will find hope and healing even when it's complicated.